Last time, we reviewed the Vaibhashika system of tenets, and we looked specifically at uh, their assertion of uh, self, a person, and the so-called selflessness of a person. In other words, it's lack of existing well, in an impossible way, or if being able to establish it as existing in some impossible way. And we saw that uh, what is being refuted in the Vaibhashika system is the so-called coarse selflessness of a person. And that is that uh, um, it's possible to establish the existence, and this is what is being negated, that it's possible to establish the existence of a person as a static, partless, independently existing Atman, or self. It, uh, it can't be established as, uh, as that. In uh, Vaibhashika, they don't go as far as saying that there's no such thing as uh, that kind of uh, Atman, or person. It's only in the higher tenet systems that uh, they do. The refutation here is in the form of a, an implicative uh, negation in other words, it, uh, once it has negated uh, its object of uh, negation, it leaves behind in its wake, as the term is, which is like what is left behind a motorboat when it goes in the water. It leaves behind or implies something else. So when we say that uh, the self is not a... just let's... Uh, well, I guess we can't abbreviate it. <laughs> we say that the uh, self is not a static, partless, independently existing um, Atman or thing. What it leaves behind is that, well, it, it's something else. And so what it is, what it affirms, is that it uh, uh, is uh, non-static, in other words, it changes from moment to moment, and it has parts, and it cannot exist independently of a body and a mind of aggregates. So, we saw that uh, the type of uh, phenomenon that a person is, or a, uh, a self, is an imputation. Imputation is uh, something that cannot exist separately from a basis of uh, imputation. It uh, is uh, substantially existent. That uh, means in the, uh, that uh, it can, its existence can be established by its uh, substantial nature of being able to produce an effect. So, uh, it has that type of uh, substantially established uh, existence, according to Vaibhashika. Uh, self does things. But uh, it's an imputation. It can't exist separately from its basis. Uh, what is its basis? It's the uh, collection or network of the five aggregate factors that make up each moment of uh, our experience, and which change from moment to moment. 
and because it is an imputation on that uh, basis which is changing from moment to moment, it itself changes from uh, moment to moment. Likewise, so it can't be something which is uh, static because it is uh, uh, integrally connected with uh, its basis. It's changing all the time. Yeah. So they say the imputation, the person is an imputation, and right. this imputation is a functioning entity. The imputation is a functioning entity. That, uh, well, for instance, uh, a person does things. Yeah. A person uh, cognizes things, so it does things. It's a functioning entity. Aging is a performs a function. It uh, makes the uh, cells of the body and so on change. Yeah, but the, the problem is, if one says it's, it is an imputation, an imputation appears to me naturally as something static, as something. Why? Yeah. Why does an imputation imply something static? Because it's uh, like a, what do you say, Allgemeines, as it's in Deutsch. It's like a mental image, like a mental hologram. No. Well, first of all, let's not uh, confuse systems. Vaibhashka yeah. uh, does not assert mental holograms. Mm -hmm. So it can't be that. And it is uh, different from a... Uh, well, we have to stick strictly to the Vaibhashika system. And in the Vaibhashika system, they say that uh, everything is known directly without uh, the intermediary of a mental hologram. So that means that it, uh, the object strikes the uh, consciousness and the uh, sensor uh, directly, mean, and that's how it is, is known. Now, uh, the only static phenomenon that uh, Vaibhashka asserts are uh, space, so the lack of something uh, uh, um, having a quality, the lack of anything that prevents something from existing in three dimensions physical object existing in three dimensions, basically, lacks uh, tangibility and obstructibility. So it's a, like a mathematical uh, property of something. And then the, um, what is it called? A, I can't think of the uh, technical term. Uh, it's two different types of uh, stoppings. It's a, uh, uh, a stopping of something such that it... Uh, um, a true stopping of something that is attained by um, applying the opponent forces. And the uh, true stopping of something that uh, occurs because uh, something else has occurred. So, for instance, uh, um, if uh, there is a choice between going into uh, 
let's say, of, may, of going left or right, and I go right, then my going left stopped. Uh, stopped. can no longer exist. So those two, uh, um, an analytical cessation and a non-analytical cessation, what it's uh, the technical term for it. So aside from that, everything else is non-static. So they include in that categories, and they include in that the uh, selflessness of persons. In their system, those are non-static imputations. So it's completely different from all the other systems. Yeah, too long ago. I forgot already. But right. That sounds reasonable now. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now. There was a difference between um, superficially existent and deeply existent uh, uh, phenomenon. So conventional true phenomenon and deepest true phenomenon. Superficially true phenomenon are those which when you either um, cut it with physical means or um, break it apart by uh, analysis that it no longer retains its identity. Whereas uh, ultimately true phenomenon so they're only superficially true. Ultimately true phenomenon are those phenomenon that when you break it apart or analyze, it retains its identity. So um, love, for example, when you break it into uh, its uh, individual tiniest moments, it still is love or consciousness is still consciousness or uh, the uh, fire is still fire. Whereas uh, other objects like uh, the uh, table, when you break it apart, is no longer a table. And similarly, a person, when you uh, look at the parts of a, uh, when you analyze a person, body, mind, and so on, um, then it no longer retains the identity of a person. So like that, a person is a superficial, superficially true phenomenon. But we can see that uh, because it uh, is dependent on uh, parts, it has parts and so on, it can't exist as something that is partless. It can't exist as an ultimately true phenomenon. And as an uh, imputation, it can't exist as uh, some of the non-Buddhist uh, schools uh, of Indian philosophy assert that uh, it can be liberated and continue to exist liberated from samsara, uncontrollably recurring rebirth, and exist in moksha, state of liberation, without a body and without a mind. So that, since it is an imputation and can't exist separately from a basis, then that's impossible as well. And likewise, they asserted uh, refutation that uh, such a type of self inhabits the body and mind, possesses it, and makes use of it. In other words, controls it. So this was the basic uh, assertion of what the Vaibhashika school refutes, the way it refu and that is uh, likewise refuted by all of the uh, tenet systems 
And the only thing that is unique here with the um, Vibhashika negation is that it is an implicative negation. It leaves behind that uh, the self is non-static, has parts, and is uh, dependently existent. Whereas in the refutations of uh, the higher schools, Satrantika and above, is that there's no such thing as that kind of Atman. So it's a non-implicative negation. Okay, so we can see there's a progression there in terms of understanding how uh, negation works and uh, how we negate things. Then we applied to this something similar to what uh, Chandrakirti explains in his uh, uh, beginning salutation to uh, compassion in engaging in the Madhyamaka, which is uh, uh, the explanation of uh, three types of compassion. There's the uh, compassion that you have for others that uh, arise because they are unaware of suffering. They don't know suffering. So then uh, the second type is uh, compassion aimed at them because uh, they uh, don't understand impermanence and the suffering that arises to them because they don't understand impermanence. And the third is the suffering that arises to them because they don't understand um, voidness or selflessness. So we try to uh, apply this to the refutation of the, of the coarse selflessness of a uh, person. Because I think that that's a, uh, a, a very helpful way once we understand this uh, lack of an impossible way of establishing the self of a person to actually analyze it and apply it. So what that means is since compassion is renunciation, the determination to be free when it is aimed at others rather than being aimed just at ourselves, that we would likewise have those three types of compassion for ourselves that would arise also from our unawareness of these facts. So what does that lead to? That leads to a very practical type of uh, meditation and analysis, which is that uh, we examine ourselves what type of suffering do I experience because I don't understand that I don't exist. And with each of these characteristics, we can break it into each of them separately, although the actual selflessness of a, of a person is that it is not established as an Atman having all of these characteristics, not just part of them. When we look at just part of them one by one, that's called incorrect consideration, considering something non-static as static, etc. Okay, so what I propose to do, I mean, first of all, I asked if you could examine during the week what type of uh, problems and difficulties you have from you personally have from uh, thinking of ourselves as existing 
as a person, a me, a self, in each of these uh, incorrect ways, and then developing the determination to be free of that, and then transferring that to others, seeing that they don't understand that as well, they have problems as well, and compassion for them, that they be free of that. And you can go even further and uh, use this in Donglen practice of taking on that uh, suffering from, as it says in Seven Point, uh, mind training first from ourselves and take it on from ourselves, and then extend it to taking it on from others and giving them the remedy to that, which is the correct understanding. So there's a, a progression of how we can work with this material. In case you haven't examined <laughs> too much during the week, uh, since I don't want to embarrass anybody by asking you what you have. Uh, no, no, that's really important that you put us to this moment to think about. Pardon? That we'll use this, yeah, so we use this, this uh, time to uh, meditate, to analyze, to reflect on each of these uh, points one by one. So the confusion, it made a lot of problems. And the confusion, not knowing. And what, thinking incorrectly. Yeah, what I am, what I'm here for, and not knowing what to do and what it means to be here, and even to phrase a core of it. Phrase, um, well, what does it? It's not so much. Uh, it's not so much of what does it mean to be here and so on. What do I think of myself as never changing? that it's still the same me, what does it mean that it's still the same me as when I was a child and throughout my life? It implies that you have that Atman, like there's one thing that's... That stays the same, it's me. It's the, yeah. So there's a difference between retaining a conventional identity, mm-hmm. it's not that I'm somebody else, there's continuity, but is that self something that has never changed? What does it mean? You know, how do you experience that? It's me. Yeah. In a way, the, the self um, appears in these mo- in these moments of I'm in mine, um, like uh, how it appears, that is something that stays in a way the same. Like this entity which which doesn't want that, or which is like small and narrow, and how it appears. How well, it how does it appear? Does the self always appear the same? I mean, there's a difference here between the mental image that we think of as ourself, or is it just a mental word, me? It's it's how it feels. How it feels. feels. Well, this is the deceptive appearance. 
it feels that it is me, the same me, identical, hasn't really changed, and I'm just in, you know, inside this body. The body has grown old. And it tends but, to come up with always the same uh, false strategies. It comes up with the, the same thought, the same feeling. And how does that produce problems? It's not in accord with reality, but because it's not in accord with reality, what problems does it create? This is the thing to identify. If you want to get, if you want to refute it, the only reason you would want to refute it is because thinking like that causes suffering. How is it pure suffering? Then this is what we need to reflect on. So let's reflect on that in our own experience. What happens when we don't accept that we change? That we have changed? from the way that we were, let's say, as a teenager or a young adult. Well, think about it.
Then imagine taking that suffering away from yourself as you breathe in and as you breathe out. Imagine giving yourself the correct understanding. that I change from moment to moment. I'm not a static entity. So we take away the suffering and the cause of suffering, and we give the antidote and the happiness that would result from that, or peace of mind that would result from that. then we transfer this in terms of thinking of others who have the same problems. And do the donglen, the giving and taking process with them. So what type of sufferings did you recognize? Maybe I share something? Yeah. I was thinking about how even when you have very fortunate circumstances and you have a lot of uh, positive experiences and, and 
things that can help you grow and become more confident. If you still if you stay stuck with a, an image of yourself from the past, as as more limited, less confident, and uh, uh, more hung up, that can that can prevent you from really profiting from from those experiences and really become mature and and become more confident in your personality. Very true. Very true. Not in the sense of becoming arrogant, simply becoming more confident. Now you can achieve things. Well, it's thinking I can never change. I can never really overcome my problems. Yeah. So I think that's that's one thing. Another thing is, of course, as you become older, so some things become better like that with the experience, but also your memory can degrade your physical abilities and also to accept that and to to work with what you have no it's also something that that requires acceptance of change and right so and we have the suffering that uh, maybe the body is getting old but i'm not getting old mm -hmm. so we don't accept the aging problems we don't accept that uh, even on a daily basis if we think that we are static and never change we think that we can always do the same things i'm always going to be as productive every day, or I'm always going to be as lazy every day. I'm always going to be able to do everything, which of course is not the case. And then we get very frustrated and annoyed. These are the disturbing emotions that come up when we think about that, when we believe that. I should be able to do this and that. What else? The whole idea that this is who I am and it's never going to change. I'm somebody that is overly emotional or I'm somebody that's very nervous and that's never going to change. For, for, may I say? Yeah. I guess for me, um, in, not an issue, but something that I'm kind of, uh, that I find difficult with certain things is... Uh, trying to realize if actually I am repeating patterns, mm -hmm. maybe things have not changed or have I also, or have I evolved? Like sometimes differentiating that and trying to figure out which one is happening. Well, that's an interesting issue. You know, you're saying that it's difficult to figure out, am I just repeating a certain habit or have things changed? This still, has uh, still doing uh, like I'm still thinking of myself as an old, static, non-changing. Right. Am I still thinking of myself as an old, non-static, uh, changing thing? This is interesting because it has to do with what category we cognize ourselves through, and what are the characteristics of that category. If the category, I mean, the category is something which is, uh, well, <laughs> in the Vaibhashika system, the category is non-static. <laughs> so the category can change from moment to moment as being applied in different situations. Nevertheless, the issue here is whether my behavior fits into this category or not. 
if that category is that I uh, never change, I never learn, then no matter what we do, we fit it into that category so we don't recognize that maybe it it shouldn't go into that category. So a lot has to do with the concept that we have of ourselves, Because in fact, we do change. You never, I mean, no two situations are exactly identical. So the way that we handle it is never exactly identical. You know, what happens is never exactly identical. But it feels like that. Yeah. But it feels like that because we we perceive it through this category that, you know, well, that's the way that I do things. I always screw up or whatever. So to kind of like help oneself get out of that limitation is to grow more categories or expand categories. Well, if your category, the way to get out of that is the category of I'm evolving. You know, it's changing. It's as if you're, the, the old you is improving but because the old you is still within that equation. Right. It feels like... Well, exactly, it. exactly. Because the old you fits in that equation, then it feels like it hasn't really changed. So this is because you have, I mean, this we get the refutation in the higher systems, is that here we're thinking that there is a self-established me that is changing. Mm-hmm. So it's a concrete thing that is changing, whereas <laughs> the higher systems will refute that it's a concrete thing. So the higher systems say one should view it as a whole new category? Like, how do you get out of that limitation? Then? Well, how do we get out of that limitation is by... Well, now you get into trouble when you think of it as a category of not being self-established because then it appears that the category that not being self-established is self-established. I mean, this is the objection that the non-galupas make to it. But uh, in any case, if we understand that... um, This is a changing phenomenon, and there's nothing on uh, the side of the object that establishes it as being a changing object. That's rather abstract, isn't it? <laughs> how, to, uh, how to describe that? Um, We don't make ourself into a thing. That is, I mean, now we're jumping way ahead to the prasangikas, but uh, we don't make ourselves into a thing. There is the word me, there's category me, all these things, they refer, you know, to a conventionally existent me. But it's not a thing, 
you know, wrapped in plastic, and there it is, sitting on top of the aggregates as an imputation, stuck there. Everything is changing moment to moment. Everything dependently arises. All the causes, they're all the uh, parts. They're all changing moment to moment. Nothing lasts even a moment, you know? What's no longer happening is, is not happening in the moment. What's happening, what's not yet happened is not happening in this moment. What's happening in this moment, as soon as you look at it, it's gone. It's not sitting there in this moment happening. So everything is this constant flux. And what establishes it as a conventional thing, you know, that would in a sense freeze it into a conventional thing, is what a word or a concept or a category would refer to. But it can't actually, it doesn't have the power to freeze it. You know, you can't, you have this in physics that uh, you can't know the motion and the location of something simultaneously. So everything is changing. Everything is a movie, in a sense. There no still, you can't stop it and make it into a still picture. When we put it into a category and when we apply, mentally label a category or a, uh, a word, it's just a way of communicating or dealing with it. It doesn't freeze it, it doesn't, make a, it doesn't stop this flux of what's going on. It allows you to refer to things. Nothing can stop that flux. So there are no... If you think of everything in terms of a gigantic universal force field in which all sorts of things are you know, it's not as though there are concrete things interacting with each other, you know, like uh, a room filled with ping pong balls that are bouncing against each other and interacting. It's not like that. So when it says in voidness, there are, there is no, you know, eyes, ears, nose, consciousness, etc. That is because there's no frozen things corresponding to these words. The words are conventionalities, 
allows us to communicate, allows us to deal with things, but everything is constantly changing. There is just this constant, interdependently arising and happening flux. So now that becomes very, very useful, very practical, because then you see your life as that, you see yourself as that. No matter what you're doing, no matter what project you're involved with, it's never a still photograph. Every moment is influenced by many, many different factors, and there are many, many parts of things that are going on. And to be able to call it a project or a problem or me, well, that's just established as that merely by the power of your, of the word or the concept the category. But there's nothing on its own side that is sitting there like a ping-pong ball going through this process. So it allows you to just to not be attached to just dealing with what's going on. You just deal with it without making a thing out of me, without making a thing out of what's happening. They arise dependently on each other. You just do. Does that make any sense? What is potentialities? How, how to grasp onto potentials. Like how to grasp onto potentials? So it, 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 it takes out the solidity. It, it takes out the solidity if one thinks the way you explain. Right, it takes out the solidity and it allows you to uh, identify more Potential. easily the potentials in any situation. It's not frozen into one standard thing. So there are many different ways of handling any situation. Many different potentials because everything that is occurring is arising from many, many different sources. It's not the Chittimatra view that's all coming from one source, one seed of karma in our, on our mental continuum. Coming from many, many different sources. And there are potentials in all of them. Likewise, the person who's experiencing. Pardon? Likewise, the person. Likewise, the person who's experiencing it, and likewise, the people that we're interacting with. So this is the. What should we say? The direction that we're going in terms of our understanding. And here with Vibhashika, 
we start gradually to deconstruct our the way that things feel to us, the way that things seem to us. And it's much more effective deconstruction if you deconstruct it layer by layer by layer. That's the whole point of uh, studying the tenets. And for some people, one tenet will make the most sense, will be the most helpful for them. And if they were to go on to another tenet, it might cause them confusion and they might misunderstand it and fall to either a nihilist or absolutist position. So for them, it helps. And each, the understanding of each of these tenet systems alleviates a certain level of problems, a certain level of suffering. They help. So one always has to watch out for belittling them. Oh, that's only for, you know, those shravakas or you know, those listeners to the teachings, not for me. I'm an advanced practitioner. Yeah. No, this week I was thinking about uh, like identity not only in terms of individual but more also you know community like a nation. Right. Uh, it's the we're talking about the identity not only of individual people but of also nation definitely. Uh, nowadays I feel like in everywhere in the world but also in Japan I feel like the nationalism is very growing. Right. And I feel like people are very much there are many discussions and cultural discussions, but I feel like people are so urgently searching to identify as a Japanese in terms of emperor or traditions, etc. And I mm. feel like there's so much like unnecessary sort of force that we need some like identity as Japanese, which right. is quite I see some unhealthiness, but in the same time, I feel like but it's not whatever is whatever, and then you know, the, all the histories and traditions and mm-hmm. I feel like there are something important in, uh, how do you say, there are some continuity. Of the right. And there are something important. So it's not like, okay, everything changes. So whatever the history, whatever the tradition, doesn't, it's not like it doesn't matter at all. Right. So I, I'm questioning, like, what is the essential thing that we should... Okay, so what he's saying, just repeat in case that didn't get recorded, that... Uh, coming from Japan, he sees that uh, around the world, and particularly in Japan, now with the uh, new emperor, there's a uh, rise in uh, national uh, identity, identifying with uh, being Japanese, and uh, this produces uh, problems. But uh, on the other hand, there is a certain uh, truth to uh, people having uh, an identity as uh, Japanese. I think we have to make a distinction here between some things, uh, conventional identity, and does that uh, uh, conventional identity, is it established on the side of the object, and does it have the power to establish 
the existence of that object as having that identity. Okay, that's a lot of words. Um, conventionally, you are Japanese. You are not um, Italian or German. Now, uh, but because you have certain factors that are dependently arising on them, the fact that you were born in Japanese, your parents were Japanese, etc., that uh, um, can uh, establish that you're Japanese conventionally. In other words, dependent arising. But is there, there is no, that dependent arising um, identity nature, it's called, does that uh, have the power by itself or in conjunction with the label Japanese to establish you as being Japanese? And it doesn't. In other words, it, although you have that conventional nature, it's not something that is sitting inside of you making you Japanese. It is something which has dependently arisen on parts of you, the uh, causes for your um, birth and citizenship. And the word Japanese, the fact that there is a country called Japan, so it has arisen dependently doesn't have the power by itself to make you Japanese. Do you see the difference? Yeah. I mean, also, I see that it's impossible to define what is Japanese culture because it all comes from different parts of the world. And it's impossible to try to identify Japanese culture within Japanese culture. Right. It's, a, you know, what are the defining characteristics? So that's an interesting question. What are the defining characteristics of being Japanese? And then you have to have, what's the definition? You know, that has the same thing in terms of uh, um, gender, sex. What are the defining characteristics? That becomes a very uh, tricky question. And in the case of Japan, especially, how do you differentiated from the modern culture of China, no? Also, plays a yeah. No, but I mean, I what think uniquely at the end, we don't find such a definitive defining... Well, there, nevertheless, there must be some conventional defining characteristics that are agreed upon. So it could be that you are a citizen of the country. It could be that you were born in the country. Even if you were born there, you might not uh, be able to be a citizen. Uh, it could be where your parents come from. You know, it all depends. So the defining characteristic is o only exists as a defining characteristic in terms of it being mentally labeled as the 
defining characteristic. It's not the defining characteristic by its own power. So even defining characteristics are mentally labeled. Nevertheless, things have defining characteristics, otherwise everything would be an undifferentiated soup. You know, like this famous question that Hina probably also heard many times, no, but where are you really from? Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, but really, like, where are you really Where from? are you really from? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're asking, why does your face look the way it does? I mean, that's why does your face look the way that it does? <laughs> that's what because, really want to ask you. Because my parents... <laughs> They conceived me, and yeah. that's... Uh, I like to ask sometimes, where are your genes from? Yeah. It's neutral. <laughs> <laughs> but the, these defining characteristics, they're not just characteristics that exist within themselves. They are unofficial, agreed-upon... Conventions. Conventions exactly. by a group of... The world, the, by, by a group of people, yeah, by a group so, of beings. So, in a way, like what one deems to be Japanese could be very different from, not very, but... That's right. What, so, so, one group of people could uh, consider um, not only Japanese, let's use a, a, an easier example, a foreigner. Huh? Foreigner. Foreigner. Gaijin. Gaijin. <laughs> Gaijin. Gaijin in Japanese. Yeah. So, what is the definition of a foreigner? Well, to a nationalist person, it might be one thing. To a some, <laughs> you know, even if you are, you know, if even if you for generations your family has been living in this country, because you don't look like the na so-called natives of the country, you're still a foreigner. Whereas for other people, you know, that's not, you're not a foreigner. Foreigner is someone who doesn't live there. So even the defining characteristic is agreed upon and can be different for different groups. I feel like the, <laughs> I feel like the more conventional an identity gets, not yeah. feel, but I've heard people say this, like the more conventional, like, you know, identifying with a nation state is almost like the most basic identification that a person could make, and it feels like it's maybe the most ignorant in a way. Well, I think there are more basic identifications, like, human as opposed to um, a monkey or a lizard. But ones that are different. <laughs> Gender. Gender, of course. Sex? Yeah, of course. But the, 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 Age, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I mean, that is very heavy. You know, I'm still a, a young person, or I'm an old person, or I'm an adult, or I'm a child. But it's like, intellectuals have this thing of like, they deem people who are like nationalists, right? Right. As being quite, kind of like being... Well, that's, that's, that's sort of, so. right, that's a very... Well, they would consider that a very superficial. Of course, yeah. But then again, you could change your gender, you could change your sex, you can change your, what country you belong to, you can change your citizenship. Can you change being a human? Yeah, sure. Yeah. How? Die and No, no, I mean, in, in one lifetime, can you change your species? Gene therapy, change all your genes. Yeah, maybe who 
wrong by work or something, no, I think. Mm. And this baby can yeah, walk by No, maybe that was okay. So yeah. now we have what was the uh, uh, what was the name of that? Uh, can't change your birthplace or your parents, uh, respectively. Yeah. Right, you can't change, well, you can't change your biological parents. It's about perception. Mm. <laughs> but even that becomes questionable when you have surrogate, you know, the egg was donated by somebody else and it was implanted in somebody else's womb, but then you were raised by, you know, Yes, somebody else. So later, you were genetically modified. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it starts to become very, very complicated in terms of uh, what is the parent. So even being a parent, even the defining characteristic of being a parent is a convention agreed upon by a group of people. But sometimes convention is, in certain level, important as well, isn't it? What is important? The con conventional identity. Right, the conventional identity, however, it is not that things lack a conventional identity. So it's not whatever. It's not whatever. And it's not uh, that, uh, so it has to be not only a convention agreed upon by a group of people, but it has to be uh, validly uh, cognized by a mind that validly sees conventional truth. You know, not uh, somebody that looks at you and says, oh, you're Chinese, you know, whereas you're, you're Japanese. And by someone that, you know, so it can be corroborated by, by evidence and that it is not contradicted by a mind that sees the uh, deepest truth. That you are truly established as a Japanese. Now, that third one becomes a problem. Because each of the tenant systems will say that, uh, you know, see, <laughs> that a mind that see a, a, a Svatantrika or a Chinamatra that says that it should not be contradicted by a mind that validly sees deepest truth would see you as being, you know, self-established as uh, by some self-establishing nature in you makes you a Japanese. So uh, a mind that sees, you know, deepest truth would, would corroborate that. So then you have to turn to logic in order to, uh, you know, prove what, or establish what is validly seen by a mind that sees deepest truth. No, yeah. Didn't we want to stay with, stick with Vibashika? Pardon? Yes, we did want to stick with the Vibhashika. Maybe. Yes, everything gets all mixed together. That is the temptation uh, to do. It starts to get difficult to explain further with Vibhashika, then it's tempting to go further. Right, exactly. Exactly. So if we stay with Vibhashika, we saw that there are problems that come from uh, viewing ourselves as being static. If we're static, we think that we can always do the same thing. We can always, uh, we'll always be the same. We never can change. And so on. Even it's an expectation, it will be 
Disappointing. Right. So we have the suffering that we expect that we will always be able to do the same and that will always look the same, that uh, our weight will always be the same, etc., etc. And then we are very frustrated and disappointed when it's not. So we can also get into denial. You deny that you've gotten older. Deny that you can no longer do what you used to be able to do. Yeah. Actually, what came to mind for me during the meditation um, is uh, I when when I thought about some any any discomfort, it's uh, what whatever it is, yeah, physically whatsoever. Then and and this the sense of of me appears. Then I can't really put them. I can't extract them. Yeah, it's it's not that I can say, oh yeah. This is, I mean, I can say, yes, it feels static, yeah, but everything that feels static feels also independent and feels also as one. So it's, it's, it comes always in a package, these three attributes. So right. for me, it's very difficult it's to, to think about, oh, I just take the aspect of static because it doesn't exist just static. It's, it's always all together. So, well, yes, I mean, this is the actual position, but we're just looking at incorrect consideration here. What's the difference then? Incorrect consideration is dealing with just one of these aspects. Mm. To con incorrectly consider yeah, something static as, but uh, static as uh, something non-static as static. But it is true that all of these come together. Yeah, so if we think that we're static and that uh, we are partless, so we only identify with that static thing with one thing, that we don't have parts in which we can be different, and then we feel independent of, you know, there's the, the me that is, uh, you know, in a sense, alienated from what's going on. So separate from uh, all of this, then you have the whole package. Yeah, but in, in terms of dealing with it. So if, 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 for example, yeah, there are some discomfort coming up, yeah, then the, this, uh, it, it, the, the, the discomfort is this, this feeling of this, this one entity that I am yeah, mm -hmm. very close associated. So then whatever, whatever I, I, I could think of, yeah, I could think, oh, because it, it feels independent and what, whatsoever and static and uh, what was the last one? Independent. And one? Partless. Partless, yeah. Partless, one thing. Well, no, it's not the same. Partless. If something, uh, then, okay, partless. Partless, that I don't have different aspects, that oh. there isn't a body and a mind and emotions and... So, uh, it's just one. If it's not, if it, it has right. parts, it's Right, right. Okay, so then it's, it's a monolith. Monolith, monolith, that's what I'm saying. So, but then, whatever antidote I take, uh, as soon as I recognize, okay, that's, that's how it feels, and then whatever I do, if I, if I, if I think, the moment I think, oh, does, doesn't exist uh, static, doesn't exist independent, doesn't exist, the moment it disappears, this, 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 this sense of, uh, uh, of I that, that was there before. So it doesn't matter which antidote. Well, the false self of, of yeah. uh, right, they all, so in other words, when you refute one, you refute one you aspect, refute you all. refute all, you refute all. Uh, so I, I don't I don't think much about uh, to me it, it doesn't feel really like I, I, I right but uh, if you go to but if you go to the Chittamatra and above uh, 
they would say that uh, space is static, but it has parts, directional parts. Mm. So just because something, you refuted that something is, does that, am I saying it correctly? If you refuted that something is static, have you refuted that it, That it doesn't have that it doesn't have parts. No, you haven't, because there are static things that have parts. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, in this case. Right. But here, so now we are on, on easy ground. But now we're on easy ground <laughs> of yeah. so But if you have, but as I said, the way that you can put it together, I am never going to change. So I identify with one thing. And that I don't have parts in, in terms of, you know, being different things, reacting in a different way, having different friends, you know, just one, always the, uh, the same. Why is refuting that it's static, refuting that it has parts? It Pardon? It could be a, a single blob that is mutating, <laughs> has no parts, <laughs> but it's mutating. <laughs> a blob that is mutating without having parts? Yeah. How could this be? It's... Right, the whole thing, the whole thing. So, I mean, that, well, this is, parts doesn't only mean uh, physical parts, spatial parts. It also can mean temporal parts. So if it's changing, it has parts. It has temporal parts every moment. Every moment is a different part. And the problem that I seem to, you know, be, you know, identify with it existing independently as a feeling of alienation that, you know, that I'm this alien thing inside, well, that I am this thing inside the body, but I feel alienated from it. I'm separate from it, or you can feel alienated from your feelings, alienated from your body. So, that also can be uh, quite a problem. I can't quite. I can't relate to this old body that I have. I'm still thinking of myself as a young person. That's my conception of myself. I'm fitting myself into that category, which is now uh, improper labeling. Yes, but this is. I find this. I find this is. This is, this is all taking little examples, but what, I mean, I, I thought for, for, for myself, I thought if I, for example, if trained in Vaibhashika, you know, and I thought about a lot of long time, yeah, okay, it's really true, there is no such thing like this, 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 this. Well, they're just then, saying, I don't exist like this. Yeah, I don't exist like this. And then I, I find myself during the day, some event coming up, mm -hmm. the sense is coming up, and then the moment, the moment I, you... If you know that this thing doesn't exist, the moment you recognize, oh, oh, what's coming up? It's heartless, this, this, oh, it doesn't exist. So th this moment, the release is there. So, but this, this comes through understanding before. Right, but the first, the Vaibhashika understanding is it's not like this. This isn't true. Yeah. Then the Sautrantika is going to be that this, there is no such thing. Yeah, okay, uh, I, I, okay. But I mean, the first... Yes, level of understanding yeah, has true. to be that this isn't true. Yeah, it's not like that. It's quite a release. If you, if you right. recognize during the day, oh, this thing, what's coming up, is you identify it as, 
is uh, partless and independent and right. the, the sense mm. and you and you know have 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 learned before mm. this Bo is not true then immediately the release comes mm. well yes and no um, somebody can say intellectually i know that uh, i'm not uh, you know uh, static and so on but i can't help myself mm. yeah but then it's because you don't identify this in yourself if, if you really, if you start it doesn't make an emotional difference, people will say. Mm. Intellectually, I can understand it, but, uh, yeah. but this is it doesn't change anything. Yeah, but this is, I think this is just because uh, if, one, if one doesn't examine for oneself how oneself feels, if one doesn't find for oneself, oh, I really f it really feels like I am like this, then you can't relate to it. Because you have, you have no inner experience of yourself. Because then you can't, you can't. Uh, it's just an intellectual game. But if, but also, I feel like you also can do it because you've trained it more. Right. It I only comes. It only comes yeah, from recognition. from habituation. Yeah. Sure. It's like you do it so fast that you have that that realization, and you can switch it off. It's because you've trained. You've meditated. You've exactly how you go from an intellectual to an emotional understanding is basically through yeah. habituation yeah. I was going to actually be brought up this point in a, way, in a way it's connected and what you brought up is like it's that's all well and good but then there's obviously like variables right so mm -hmm. there's the variable of attachment so intellectually for example I, I've like I feel I've grown in many ways but if I was to apply with in a romantic relationship where there's a different type of attachment, then I feel like I can't. Why can't I? Why can't I do it? Why can't I let it go? You know, it's kind of this thing of like what you. So, is there any place do they mention variables? Well, yes, of course, because there are these. I mean, this system. You see, you could have automatically arising incorrect consideration of something that is uh, static something that is non-static as being static, that could automatically arise mm -hmm. because our perception isn't that, uh, that quick. Yes. But if you think in terms of this whole package of the non-Buddhist Atman, that you could only have learned by somebody else teaching you that that's how you exist, that you have a soul that, is, mm -hmm. that has these characterizations. So the whole package would only be doctrinally based, whereas each of the individual components could automatically arise. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it's included in the higher view. Anyway. But but what I wanted to make the point was that you have disturbing emotions that are doctrinally based. In other words, you have a disturbing emotion of attachment based on thinking that. You are this static thing, and the other person is a static thing. And then you have attachment to them. And of course you have suffering because they're going to change, and you don't want them to change, or the relationship is going to change, and you don't want the relationship to change. You think it should never change. So you have attachment, you have anger when uh, it doesn't meet up to your expectations, naivety, you know, all of that uh, sort of stuff. So there are doctrinally based disturbing emotions you can apply temporary solutions to that, antidotes to that, but the deepest antidote is only going to be when you get rid of the, 
you know, when, there's, when you see that there's nothing static there, then you realize there's nothing that you can be attached to. So you have to go to the root. You can deal with the disturbing emotions temporarily, but they're not going to go away until you've gotten rid of the, the ignorance. That's the root of it. I feel like when you get into the more, like this will get more, a lot more complicated, like, but I feel like uh, even the, the kind of the easier stuff is that the, the different teachings can be applied before the prerequisites have been met. And the prerequisites being, for, for example, understanding impermanence right. and understanding cause and effect. Because if those two things right. aren't there, then Absolutely. it doesn't work. Absolutely. If you haven't understood impermanence, yeah. then exactly. you can't understand... It's very uh, difficult. To right. So everything is, you know, um, what is the word? Um, progressive. That's a very important thing to uh, understand. Yeah, the concept. Right. Impermanence, cause and effect, relationship between whole and parts, all these sort of things. Anyway, that brings us to the end of our discussion. And there's obviously a lot more that we could uh, explore with the Vaibhashagas, but I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. So next time we'll go on to the Sautrantikas. So let's end with a dedication. We think whatever understanding, whatever positive forces come from this may go deeper and deeper and act as a cause for everyone to gain enlightenment for the benefit of all.